I love scotch. 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 Yep. Have another whiskey. If you'd like to speak to me in person, press one. If you'd like to order drugs, press hash. <laughs> I had a gentleman in the crowd that was like, tell me how to drink Glenfiddich. And I was like, I will not do that. Yep. You drink Glenfiddich how you want to drink Glenfiddich. Wear a cowboy hat in Los Angeles and look at the amount of looks you get. Yeah. It's unbelievable. This is the most flamboyant city on earth. You wear a cowboy hat, people look at you like you are yep. like an alien. The Beatles came on and they might pick me up on his shoulder. George Harrison is as close to me as that wall now. I went, all right, George, all right. And he went, cock. <laughs> and that was the closest <laughs> I ever came to the Beatles. <laughs> have a whiskey while we... Yeah, let's do it again. Yeah, yeah. Cheers, Cheers. Long. Cheers. Welcome back to United States of Drumerica, and this should be a fun episode because it's the middle of the afternoon and really we shouldn't be drinking, but we are. So welcome to the show, the Senior Vice President of Premium Business at the Staples Centre, Michelle Kajiwara. Yeah, you nailed that. Good job. Um, so actually, I, I, I should apologise because your employers will now know that you're drinking whiskey in the middle of the afternoon, but maybe they already know that about you. It's quite all right. I think this is the actual perfect time to do this podcast at three o'clock. It's uh, and I actually just jumped the gun and took a sip of my uh, my whiskey, so um, I'm ready to go. My throat is on fire right now. I'm not a traditionally a whiskey drinker, so this is this is going to be interesting. If I can get through this whole glass, you'll get some good content. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what this <laughs> says about I don't know what it says about the two of us, but we've met once in real life and it was at a brewery on a Thursday lunchtime in Orange County. And now the second time we're having an afternoon whiskey, but I don't think people should judge us for that. No, I like where this relationship's going actually. On our second time, we are, we are drinking in the middle of the day. It's good. So you work um, and have done for many years at the sort of pretty much the, I think what most people who work in sport would, would see as pretty much the pinnacle of sport working at, in a job like that, a venue like you do just tell me a bit about what it's like working in sports just coming out of a pandemic which when there was no sport but at the sort of premium end of it is everyone just desperate to get back to what they were doing and therefore your phone is ringing off the hook you know I wish that was the case um but I say this a lot just in terms of who we entertain at the Staples Center and the sort of businesses and people that we get to interact with, I think it is a microcosm of our larger economy. And so what happening happens in Los Angeles or California or the United States, I feel like kind of distills down into who we work with in the building, right? And so you're going to get really uh, both sides. You're going to get some people that are really excited to come back, just as you would in kind of our, our society right now. And then you're going to get some other people that are a little bit more cautious. And so it really is uh, a, an interesting dance uh, that we have to do in terms of making sure that we're connecting with our members and our vendors and our partners in a way that's sensitive to wherever they are and trying to make sure that as a building and as a company, we're addressing and we are um making sure that there's every level of safety and, and caution as we sort of re-enter. And last year was a great example of just the leadership and preparation that goes into this because we started with a no fans, reduced capacity, and built up to full capacity with masks, with some vaccination uh, proof, COVID testing proof, all of that good stuff. And we did it. And we did it without incident. And so I look at that as a very successful roadmap to uh, how we can come back uh, through this. And just, again, being sensitive to the fact that, man, everybody's got an incredibly different journey through this. And we can't just assume anybody has a predisposed position on what should and shouldn't be happening. So a lot of listening, but it's been fun to watch all of our teams, all of our state county officials come together and leadership within our company uh, and make decisions that have been largely very successful for us. So I, I, I def, we, we definitely we don't do politics on this show as such, but in some way, working and I've seen this. My day job is working for a sports team. 
with the way the world's changed, there's politics has entered the sports world to an extent. Um, you know, obviously things opened up at different rates. So in California, you couldn't open a stadium and do certain things while you will have had uh, former colleagues or rival teams who have, you know, who stadia opened up months before to full capacity with no restrictions. Oh um, yeah. And we were talking to them the whole time. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. Let's know how it goes. So it's, and I know certainly when vaccinated sections became a thing, uh, for our football team, we were told by County Health that we could do vaccinated sections. So we said we do vaccinated sections because it meant we could have extra people in the stadium. On we did social, that as well. yeah. On social media, we had people saying, "Are you going to have a BLM section? Um, we're not coming to your game. This is how the Holocaust started." Like it has been extraordinary the reaction. So when you're a major institution and a corporation as you are, and you're trying to sort of protect fans. Some people want protecting, some people don't. Do you find yourself having adding this dimension of politics to a job that you've been doing for years, which was never there before? Yeah, that's um, certainly happening at, at a much, um, much more rampant pace now. And it is an interesting conversation to have because politics involve passion usually. And so those conversations just aren't one that um, I think is in our best interest to engage necessarily, but it has become very polarizing. At the core of all of it, we're interested in safety. We're interested in getting people back into a building where they can enjoy some live entertainment because if I speak for myself, I'm so starved for that after, you know, this last 17 or 18 months of not having that dynamic of live music and smelling the beer and the hot dogs and being around other fans and having just that, you know, deliriously like happy, you know, feeling of walking into a building and being able to celebrate and commiserate with people who are fans for, you know, however many years they've been with us. So, yeah, the, the, the political piece of it is certainly challenging, but I think it's also something that um, during COVID has made us a little bit more aware of who we are, what we are, what we stand by. And if we can engage in a respectful way, then I think it can be healthy. I think when it gets into um, really more aggravated and personal attacks on a person as opposed to what somebody thinks and hearing them out about why, I think that's when it gets really contentious. And we're trying to walk the line of being respectful, but also uh, demanding that that respect is, is mutual, right? You can't be the only one on the call that's or in the interaction that's trying to tamp down you know, this, this fever pitch of, of emotions, it's got to be something where we're either going to have a dialogue, but we're not going to have a screaming match. And we're certainly not going to try to um, convince you uh, to, to change your allegiances or what have you. We have this, this model that we call the fence sitter model uh, for our renewals and for our business. It's, there's going to be people that you interact with that are on one side of the fence. They're all in, they're agreeable to what your policies are. They're agreeable uh, to what the product is. They're, you know, they're all in, right? They totally get what you do and who you are. Then you've got another side that's, you know, especially in a renewal conversation that you go, they're moving their headquarters. Um, they are bankrupt. They are not interested in coming back. They don't believe in the product. They don't understand, you know, what it is you stand for. And they're not, they're not going to come back. They're way over here because it's just like, we don't agree and we're going to agree to not agree. Right. And then you have everybody in the middle. That's kind of like, I'm not really sure if I feel a certain way. I'm not totally engaged, but I'm not fully out yet. And I think that's kind of the the way that I feel about these conversations, there's going to be these kind of fence sitter um, sort of individuals that are, I'm not passionate about one thing or another. So I can have some dialogue about it and maybe get a little more, more educated. And, and it's not like we're trying to convert anybody, but I think that's where you want to live. It, there's no point trying to convince somebody who is so fully opposed to really having some meaningful dialogue about it and is, isn't going to change that. I think yeah. that there's a middle ground there and that's where you should 
probably stay if you're going to engage in any of those conversations. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it's interesting. <laughs> you, may, you mentioned the sort of the smell of the beer and the hot dogs. For you who've spent so long in sport, and I know you're not, you know, you're not on the field, but you're in the stadium and have been for so many years watching these games. How did it feel for you to come back and be involved in live sport after presumably would have been the longest period you hadn't been to a game for since you started work? Well, first of all, it was really eerie in March to be in the office and to see our building dark for consecutive days. That just doesn't happen. We are 200, 250 events plus year round at, for as long as the building's been open and to have the building completely dark. I just, it was so crazy to not have um, that energy in there. Cause that's what I really enjoy. That's what I think our fans really enjoy. And our members is just that, that feeling of coming together and having this community. And so um, in the, you know, process of coming back it was it was exciting but it was also weird because you're seeing things you're seeing 5,000 people in the building for a Laker game that's unheard of people would pay good money to be one of 5,000 people to watch LeBron James play you know an NBA game that it's just crazy uh, and so there's been so many times during this journey back um, and actually, in the whole journey of my the expanse of my career, where I just have to pinch myself and go like, what am I watching right now? This is absolutely, this is impossible to process, whether it's no fans, whether it's partial fans, whether it's we've been dark for all these years, and now we're all coming back and we're here, but we're all wearing masks. So it's a little bit of this kind of awkward dance we're doing where we're back in physically, but we're not like truly all in because the dynamic of what we used to experience has changed a little bit. And so, um, but I say that even during non-COVID times to watch and to experience nights where Kobe Bryant scores 81 points, or you hang a banner, or you see a, a dunk, or you see a hat trick, or you see whatever it is happen in front of you. You just, I'm so always, um, really just overwhelmed by the amount of talent and access uh, that we have to just watching incredible sporting events and shows and, um, and live entertainment in this space. And that's what's kept me in the building for 18 years. So I'm constantly mystified by what's happening in our building, good, bad, and, and otherwise. Sport, I mean, I, I've worked in sport twice now, once as a journalist, which was very exciting. Like going in the locker room, interviewing players was extraordinary. And now I'm on the sort of front office side, completely different, still fascinating in a different way, really understanding the business. But sport is just fun and exciting and people are passionate and it, it's an amazing thing to be around. Did, when you were a kid, did you think, oh, one day I'd love to just spend all my time watching the highest level of sport in one of the most amazing arenas? Was it? Was it, how did you end up in this world? You know, not by design at all. And certainly when I was growing up there, you know, we were watching Charles Barkley and we were watching, you know, Michael Jordan and Magic and um, Showtime. So we were fans of the Lakers specifically. And there was always sort of sports around in, in the house. But I never even had one thought to what I wanted to do when I grow up. There was one assignment when I was in elementary school that said, what do you want to be? And I thought, oh, it'd be really cool to be a flight attendant, not thinking that I wouldn't be able to reach the overhead compartments. And, uh, you know, I'd be I'd be challenged in that role. But I, I like the idea of travel. And so, yeah, no, I never really thought about working in sports. There was no sports management classes. There was not premium seating. There was none of that. We've evolved so much. Um, and I, and I honestly think that we've taken so many quantum leaps in the last, uh, few years that, uh, sports has evolved into such a behemoth, um, within the industry. And so, uh, I fell into it. I just knew I wanted to be in a building and in a job where I'd be able to have some impact with people and in an environment that was active, that was challenging and that was absolutely alive in a way that I could get up every day and be excited about 
coming into that space. And it has not let me down. There has been um, incredible growth opportunities for me. And I've been really blessed uh, being able to be in a company and and, and work for um, a leadership group that supports women and minorities and uh, is is becoming um, more aware of and, and cognizant about um, representation and being the best uh, best in class when it comes to running a sports organization. So really, really thankful, really, really grateful that I get to do this. And by no design of my own, did I fall into this outside of like, I just wanted to work somewhere really fun where I was around a lot of people. <laughs> so you mentioned sort of representation, diversity. Obviously, in the NBA, a lot of this happened during the bubble. So not in your stadium, but there was a one of the things that's happened during the global pandemic has there's been another wave crossing the world. And it's about, particularly in American sport, I feel more than other places, there's been a completely different view around social justice, obviously because of some of the things that happened. But the thing that, you know, what happened with George Floyd wasn't new. It's just it was the way people reacted to it was. And the way sports reacted to it has been very different. Working in basketball and seeing what happened, even though, like I say, at first it wasn't in your stadium. How did that make you feel? I mean, there was, there was so, um, so many emotions around, around that. And it made me feel sad and frustrated and angry. And as we, as a company and a society started to mobilize around the idea that, um, this isn't new, but we've really got to start doing better. It helped me be more aware of, and I've asked for it as well from colleagues, just my blind spots in, and I'm, I don't think you can see my face. This is an audio podcast, but as an Asian American woman who's working in sports, I didn't think about myself as a minority. I just thought about myself as somebody who um, was sort of unique in this space, but oh, well, here goes. Uh, But being more intentional around supporting, advocating, and inserting myself into conversations and platforms where I'm not necessarily comfortable having those conversations has helped me become a little bit more aware of uh, and sensitive to the fact that I might actually be able to help somebody else. And by only digging in a little bit more on my inadequacies, can I continue to improve as a human being? But then also, how do I use the platform that I'm given to amplify that good across uh, as big a stage as I possibly can? And so what started as um, feelings of just rage and and anger and and frustration it, it it is taking that and i think this is true with anything is process it and try to do the most good that you possibly can with that knowing that there you're not going to be able to control everything but there's there's a few lessons and things that you can extrapolate from even these very dark moments in our history and make yourself uh, an agent for good if you possibly can. And that's all I'm really focused on is trying to make sure that I'm still doing the work um, and that I am sensitive to um, my own misgivings and and absolutely trying to correct uh, that as, as often as I possibly can. So uh, it's, a, it's a tough question, right? We're, we're all trying to do our best within um, what's happened, but it, the work is ongoing. It doesn't just stop with that situation, right? A movement means that there's constant change and, and it's constantly moving and evolving and this thing is alive and we have to continue to honor that and um, do the best that we can. Um, so when you... Obviously, you, part of your job is interacting with your guests that you've brought into the stadium. Is it something that is talked about, particularly because, you know, obviously in LA, you know, California is very progressive and LA also very progressive. And so 
a lot's been done in this part of the world and you see it and you know obviously there's you know the new angel city football team soccer team that's starting here is it is it something that you talk about with guests and that and it's now maybe in a way it never used to be that sort of all of that diversity in social justice is actually part of what watching sport at a premium level is about now in a way that you know it wasn't before it's certainly part of the conversation more than it's ever been and i go back to what i referenced earlier insofar as if you see an opening with a group of people or an individual that is receptive to having some dialogue. I think that those, again, that's the lane that I'd like to stay in. I like to try to press once in a while, depending on the audience um, and inspire some conversation around it. But again, not to have it go down a contentious road or an argumentative uh, kind of dialogue, but to keep it really more constructive and want to make sure that I'm having conversations with people that um, we can learn from each other. It's not a one-way conversation, right? And um, and so I think in that spirit, it has created more room for these dialogues. And we have intentionally created um, forums to have those conversations and people can elect to be a part of that as, as well. So it is not something that can be forced. I think it's also something that if you could just um, lead by example, or if there is a scenario where you can um, shine a brighter light on something, that's what people are going to see. And I think that adoption is so much stronger than, you know, trying to choke your message down somebody's throat who just isn't receptive to hearing it. Maybe not ever, but maybe in that moment, right? So I think there's a nuance to being able to have meaningful conversations with people is the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about premium sport. Um, So I'm lucky enough, in a slightly odd way, I'm lucky enough, I think I've been to watch games at the Staples Centre in a suite probably maybe half a dozen times, weirdly because the hotel chain I used to use when I travelled all of the time have a box there. So you could cash in your points either for more hotel nights or go and watch things at the Staples Centre. I really Um, hope that's our, our friend and partner, the Marriott. Yeah, so it's the Sheraton Group. And oh, thank God. Okay, great. Yeah. We can say their name then. Great yes. partner of ours. Fantastic. Um, and it was weird because I used to, I mean, I used to travel a lot. I used to do sort of 75 to 100 nights a year in hotels. <laughs> so I was at the high level of their, you know, I'm like, whatever it is, platinum membership. This 75 is pre- to 100 nights a year? Yeah, I, tra- I traveled. How many nights did you rip off in one clip? Was it like a five night usually? No, I did. Banging was, all over the. Annoyingly, I traveled almost every week. So it was sort of a night or two a week rather than like big three month chunks. Um, Um, And so like all of these things, you've got, you earn the points and the idea of cashing my points in for more hotel stays didn't really appeal to me. I don't need that many more hotel stays on top of the ones I already had. Um, And I discovered this thing. So anyway, they had a box set. So I went and saw, Kings games, Lakers games, Clippers games, an Usher concert. Um, and often I take my wife to make up for the fact that I travel 7,500 nights a year. But anyway, the, it's a good, the, man. It's a good the, man. The point is, you know, what an amazing way to watch sport. Um, yeah. And, you know, I've been lucky in, old, in other jobs. I watched a lot of soccer matches from corporate boxes because that's what we did when I was a diplomat. We'd go to all the Champions League games in Germany when they were playing British teams and we'd watch it you know, up in the corporate areas. So I've sort of got used to that way of watching sport. And obviously yeah. in America where everything's bigger and brighter and, and so on, it's a, an amazing way of, of watching, of watching games. If, for you, when you're sort of talking to potential clients about it, is it a relatively straightforward transaction because it's so obviously an amazing facility You've got, depending on obviously, you know, which team it is, you've got, you know, the Clippers, you've got Le, you've got the LeBron James, obviously you had Kobe. Like, you know, here, come and watch this amazing sport. By the way, this is an amazing sort of suite to watch it. And it feels like, I'm not saying your job was easy, but it does feel like compared to certain sports and certain venues, you've got a lot to work with. Yeah, you know, we are... Again, blessed to be able to sell something that is so special and amazing. And obviously, 
I'm a firm believer that what we have and what we offer is 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 very unique because of the the building and the backdrop that we're able to do it against. Uh, but it's not easy. You know, we have 154 suites. We've got over 2,500 club seats. We've got we call them premier seats. We've got the 27 tables and lounges in the San Manuel Club. Um, we've got. 16 event suites. We have the Hyde Lounge. We have award shows and every uh, major concert and obviously sporting event uh, between hockey and and, uh, basketball. So it's a lot of content. So it does take a special buyer. It sounds great on, you know, uh, on the front end, but it takes a special buyer to be able to fill a suite with 12 people for over 250 events annually. Right. That's a lot of headcount that you've got to be able to push through and to be able to justify the return on investment. Now we have families and we have wealthy individuals that um, that's the money part isn't a big deal. It's more about having that real estate. Right. You might have a house in the Hamptons and you go there once a year, but it is definitely worth it to have that beachfront property. Just have it and just be able to use it when you want and to know that that's your private space totally worth it, right? So it takes a lot of different buyers to fill all of the suites. And there's some years that we are, uh, it's a little easier and other years where it's not. And I think for every team in market, there is a obvious attraction to the new shiny, right? And then there's obviously in Los Angeles, there's a lot of uh, the fair weather fans that when you're winning, everything's great. (laughs) Right. And when you're not, and uh, you know, you're a long suffering fan, it becomes harder to, to pony up year after year and we do multi-year contracts. And so, you know, you are getting something more than just a winning team or um, a, a championship banner. You are getting content and you are justifiably investing in something that gives you a return and some value back on what it is that, um, you signed up for. So in that way, there's always value. Um, But yeah, sometimes it's not easy. You just got to like find the right buyer that it makes sense for. And we've done that because we've been open now over 20 years and um, we've got more than enough um, suite holders, premier suite holders, et cetera, that have been with us since the building opened. And that's because we've done a good job, I believe, of servicing them and providing uh, incredible content. So do you get the situation where, you know, someone does a multi-year deal and then their team trades the best player and their team aren't doing very well and they come back and say, hold on a minute, this isn't what I paid for. I want my money back or a refund on my third year. A hundred percent. I mean, you can get buyer's remorse after three days of having the contract and it's like, I don't really want to do this. I don't know what I was thinking. Your sales guy was really good or something. Uh, so yeah, you do get the occasional, but you know, more often than not, it's stick with us, see it through. We'll find some value. We'll create some value. We'll have some conversations and we'll make sure that you are maximizing um, on as many levels as you possibly can within the incredible array of offerings that AEG. So I, I, you know, I work for the Staples Center building, but we fold into the AEG umbrella and we're a, we're an international behemoth. I mean, we have, I'm sure you've been to the O2. I'm sure you've been to some of our venues in Hamburg or Berlin and the, you know, the, the Mercedes Benz arena. So, um, and we're in China, we're, we're everywhere. So AEG really touches so many things that I'm sure at some point, you know, I'm talking to you and you've done, you know, 100 nights internationally. Like at some point, some of our our buyers, our members have traveled outside of the United States. And there could be something that's, you know, an AEG property somewhere else that we can help with. And that's that's the strength of being affiliated with a company as substantial, at a nice competitive edge, I think. Absolutely. So when you I don't want to give away all of your sales techniques, you know, to your competitors, but. Is the message, you know, look at these lovely leather seats, or is it come here and you'll see this action? Are you selling the you're selling the passion and excitement as opposed to the specific amenities, even though the specific amenities are actually very nice? Yeah, they are. And you know, the beauty of what we do is that we represent the building. 
So you get access to everything that the building has to offer. This isn't a, a singular team sale, um, which is a blessing and a curse because, you know, some people just are a fan of one team. But when you sell to a corporation, you have so many people in your vertical that this can appeal to that it gives us a much bigger range for being able to reach that hard to reach buyer, vendor, partner, you know, prospect, whatever that is. And I've seen moreover than not in my entire time being in the building, sometimes it's not even the obvious stuff, right? I mean, yes, everybody wants to go opening day, Christmas day, finals, whatever, obviously. But sometimes you're going to get in front of the most key person because you had tickets to Disney on ice and Elsa was there doing a freaking meet and greet. And that's all they need for their kid to be a home run dad. And if you can provide something like that to somebody, um, that's the secret sauce. So it isn't a one size fits all. And that's the beauty of what we offer is such diversity and such richness in what we're able to give to our membership base. It, It is unparalleled in this market. And so I stand behind that. And yes, the amenities and the people and the venue and the access, like all of that, super incredible. But you layer that on to, we're just here to help you create some memorable experiences. And this is our tagline is more than a seat because it isn't just a beautiful leather seat and a customized suite in, you know, this incredible venue. It's more than that. It's a relationship. It's a memory. It's a it's an experience. And, you know, recently during COVID, I had uh, a member pass away. Super unfortunate uh, due to COVID. And I was uh, honored to be asked by his family and friends to join his virtual celebration of life. And I was so touched because here I am just honoring somebody who was a dear friend um, and, and client. And when they were going around and all of the family and close friends were talking about him, I can't tell you how many people talked about the time that they were at Staples Center with him. How many people talked about the time that he gave them tickets to something? How many times people talked about um, just remembering what it was like to be at whatever random game or event, it didn't even matter. It didn't matter. What mattered was that this guy gave them something that they didn't have before and created an experience and a memory that will serve them for the rest of their life and represent this human being in a way that was so transformative and so special that that's what we talked about. That's what I live for. Those are the moments that you go like, wow, I'm doing something bigger than just selling a suite or selling a premium experience. I'm creating memories for families and people for a lifetime that how do you do that outside of this? You you just, it's really hard to be able to um, wrap your head around just how special it can be if you allow it to be. And then you get that recognition back from the people that matter the most in your life. That's, that's the win in all of this. Extraordinary. To be invited to the virtual funeral for somebody is, uh, I guess, I mean, I completely see it. I, I had a, we, weirdly with government, we ended up, we had a box at the Galaxy for a season. And so I had to invite 10 people every game. And the people I still see now is like, oh, do you, I was there, Gerard's debut. Um, I invited a friend to a game at Orange County the other day, and we've only ever seen two football matches together, and the last one was at a box at Anfield. And it was very cold, we remembered, because Liverpool's a bit colder then. <laughs> and, you know, we talked about that game. And you're right, you build having a shared experience with somebody. You definitely you definitely do build those memories. But um, the fact And you think so about many- what you're doing. What are you doing? You are traveling with somebody to the game, right? Travel for me is 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 such a foundational thing that ties you to another person in a way that, you know, regular things do not, right? Like you are are moving in the same direction with somebody and you have that sort of companionship and camaraderie, like getting to that place, right? And then you're there and now you're breaking bread and you're drinking, which is what we're doing right now. So 
another amazing thing. And then you're not having to entertain somebody. If it's a corporate client, you don't have to enter like all the entertainment is being handled for you. So now all you're doing is sitting there and you're having like incredible highs. You're having incredible lows. It's like when you miss the goal, when you hit the basket, when you do something like your emotional range in the span of one night with a group of people or with one individual is something that's really hard to manufacture in any other way than what we can deliver for you night after night, 250 times a year plus. I mean, if you're not signing up for that, I just, I'm not sure what you're doing. You can go and have a dinner, but now you're sitting across from somebody and guess who the entertainment's on your shoulders. You got to Hey, what's happening? I'm entertaining you for the whole night. I'm really fun, blah, 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 blah. But no, it's, it's, you can let somebody else do the entertaining. You can watch something incredible, professional athlete, a professional singer that's crafted like their whole life around something they're passionate about and let them, let them bring it. I don't know. That's kind of amazing. It's just money can't buy kind of stuff. Amazing. Send me a brochure. I'm sold. I'll buy one. Very good. <laughs> no, it's amazing. No, it's great. I know. This is why I wanted to have you on the podcast. because I believe that in my soul. Like, that, oh, that is so truth. Like, that is not the whiskey talking. Maybe a little bit, but mostly me. Amazing. So what is <laughs> your, talking of experiences, given you've probably watched sport as much as anybody else, what's your... I, mean, I know, obviously, you do non-sports stuff there as well, but tell me your favorite memory that you've had watching sport in your venue. Oh, gosh, you had to throw in my venue. In okay, I'll tell you what, we'll do, we'll do two then. Okay, we'll do the, let's do not in your venue. So what's your favorite sports moment not in your venue? Favorite sports moment was uh, was with my husband. And we were at the World Cup in Brazil, in Sao Paulo, watching um, watching the, the, the national team and the, the opening ceremonies and just knowing what a big stage that was, knowing what this meant to him, knowing what this meant to Brazil, knowing what soccer in general, how revered Brazilian players are, how revered Brazil is on, on that stage was, was so big and so unifying and so global to me as just one little chair in Maracanã. And um, it was overwhelming uh, because I knew the magnitude of what this meant to a country and to a person that was sitting next to me. And uh, that was that was incredible. And this is, this isn't just a local team. These are countries. This is the world that's come here. And you talk about passion on crack. I mean, everybody that made it to Brazil for this game in this moment for the opening ceremonies, the sacrifices and the commitment and the passion that everybody had singularly to be there and then to see it all materialize as this 100,000 person just heave of energy. And um, it was that was something. So that has to be like one of the biggest highlights of my life. I mean, and as a as a as a football fan, you can imagine what that was like. Every country was represented, every walk of life and to see everybody come together in a way um, that politics weren't there. Um, you know, global warming wasn't there. Um, nothing else was represented in that stadium except a love for football and a love for, for country and a love for, um, this, this community of, of rabid fans. <laughs> so that was, that was the biggest one for me. And it just meant a lot on, on a lot of levels. And then one of the, the, the most memorable, uh, events in Staples Center, only more memorable now because of um, the events that have happened more recently, but is is Kobe's retirement. I mean, I just can't really uh, put that on a higher pedestal than, than what it was and what it meant for my career, what it meant for Los Angeles, what it meant for the Lakers, uh, what it meant for basketball. 
and what it continues to mean in his legacy and why it's so important that we all think about not what we just do today, but what we're doing that's going to create something that lives well beyond us. And how is that impact going to reverberate um, for someone else? Um, and, and how is that going to, to be representative of how you showed up? And, and you know, and so I, I look at that night and that game and Kobe brought so much to LA, but, um, but that was really, really something. And even more so now um, in his, um, in his death, do I think about how that guy never once uh, took his foot off the gas. And that's why it's beautiful to just, you have to show up every day and it doesn't matter who's playing. It doesn't matter what the weather is. It doesn't matter what the external circumstances are that you can read about or that you can calculate how invested you're going to be in something like don't look at that just show up just show up with everything you have and magic happens right like I don't even remember who the Lakers were playing when he scored 81 points and it was like god damn it I wish I was at that game it's like well you weren't because you thought that they had to play Boston or you thought that they had to play the biggest opponent or you thought that they had to do something you know extraordinary on the calendar for you to show up and make time in your calendar. I think, you know, the more that we can just show up um, and, and be all in as much as we can for as many people as we can and, and for as many opportunities as we can, like magic can happen. And he showed that to me on a, on a, on the regular. So that was, that's the one in the building. Amazing. Wow. What an extraordinary answer. So, <laughs> I, I'm just going to ask a little bit more about that night, only because this is a phenomenon that I've noticed a lot in the two occasions I've worked in sport. Is so your American R story? You know, I've been I've been to a World Cup and a European Championship. You know, watching sport like that and being all in is extraordinary. No one's like halfway there. No one's like I'm going to go to Brazil. I'm going to get a ticket in a lottery for this game that's going to happen in a half built arena and, you know, have a great time. Like nobody half-assed being there. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that you're surrounded by like just incredible dedication. With the 81.9, you're, you're working presumably. So were you sort of flitting between suites popping in to see people, that sort of way that you have to when you're doing this sort of thing. At what point did you realize, because obviously, you know, you're, you're watching the game, but also you're making sure that your client's happy. But presumably as the game wore on and you realized what was happening, like, you know, is there a point where you just sort of stopped trying to shake people's hands and ask them if they're okay and just sort of shut up and just sort of stood quietly next to them and watched it? Yeah, this is why your question is so funny. Is like, what was your favorite game that you've seen or greatest experience that you've encountered in the building? The biggest joke is once you start working in sports, you don't watch it. Yep. <laughs> I don't get to see any of the game. All of a sudden you hear chance. You feel a vibration. You notice that the building has taken a different energy. And it's in those moments where you're popping into suites, you're jumping down to seats and I'm in heels and like, I can't feel my feet. I'm sweating. I'm like running around this building. And all of a sudden you're like, I got to stop. And so you pop in or you happen to be in the suite and something ridiculous happens. And I'm like, can I just, can we just hang out for like a second? And they've lost interest in talking to me. They don't even know I'm in there anymore. And all of a sudden we're just like, eruptions and we're hugging each other and the whole suite we're all best friends you know I've got beer all over my suit I mean it is just a full-on what just happened something incredible is going down stop everything right and those are the moments during playoffs during you know Kobe's 81 you're like no way no way he said what 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 is happening? And then you just stop everything. And it's like, we're witnessing greatness tonight. This is, this is, this is unreal. And that's when at the end of the game, what I love so much is being able to mobilize my staff, a text goes out and it's like, everybody 
go to Lexus Club after the game. Let's just sit and marinate in what just happened and appreciate this moment because it's so fleeting, right? And then it's like everybody's in their car, you're in traffic, and it's over, right? And it's like, no, we've got to like, we just witnessed something incredible. And so the Kobe games, playoff games, um, Kings championships. I mean, these are moments where you're like, this is happening. Something is about to go down and you feel it building. And then you're just whoever you're around. And sometimes I've been alone and you're like, damn, that was fucking incredible. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. I did that actually not even at a sporting event. And I was, I was new to the building and I was running around and I was doing suites. I was the manager on duty. And my, my boss at the time said, Hey, there's an open suite. Why don't you just pop in? You've made all your visits. Let's just hear what's happening. And it was Simon and Garfunkel. And uh, I'm going to age myself right now, but of course I love them. And I didn't think it was possible to actually watch a show from a suite and we sat in there and it was just me and and my manager at the time. And I was like, Oh my God, there are two old dudes with two guitars. There's no set. There's no pyrotechnic dry ice computer generated hologram, anything. It's two old dudes and two guitars. And I was like, I felt like they were in my living room. And I was on the C-level suite in Staples Center with 20,000 people. And I was like, this is the job for me forever. For as long as they'll have me, this is amazing. Not because I get to do that, but because I know that's what I can bring to other people. And I just, uh, I was so all in. And, uh, And that moment stays with me forever because it doesn't take a lot. If you actually can be present for what's in front of you, and you can uh, tamp down the the noise and the distractions and the phones. And by the way, back then there were no smartphones. That's probably why I was able to enjoy it so much because it wasn't, you know, buzzing off the hook. But it was just me and like a a crappy Nokia that they gave me at the time. In case, like it was almost like a pager. Nobody even used it. And uh, and I was able to sit there and just go, "Wow, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard." So. Amazing. So many moments. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, this is brilliant. Look, I want I want to keep going, but that's not unfortunately how podcast works. I think we're going to have to end it. We can't so. talk forever. We. All right. Well, I still have a little whiskey. Is that a problem? No, but I am going to ask you the final question. Oh, okay. Which is, if you could drink any whiskey with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? What would it be? And where would it be? Okay. That is a really hard question because, you know, there's so many answers and combinations, right? Yes. And I'm not prepared for this. So I'm going to do my best. First of all, we'll start with the whiskey. I'm going to have to go with Johnny Walker or something from Japan, perhaps just as homage to my heritage. I have heard Hibiki is really good. Is that true? Yeah. Japanese yeah. whiskey is excellent. It's sort of Japanese modern. whiskey is excellent. It is. Um, Suntory time. Yes. Suntory. Have you seen Boston translation? Yeah. Okay, great. You get me. So I'd probably have to have a Japanese whiskey. So forget Johnny Walker. I think I'm going to go with uh, Suntory time. And then I would have to say Bob Marley. Hmm? I think that would be incredible to sit with him based on his lyrics and his life and his legacy. I've got a million questions for him and, uh, and I'd have to go somewhere that I haven't been before. So I'd say um, uh, something that's, that's natural. He, I I wouldn't want to meet him in a cosmopolitan place. So I'm going to, I'm going to say Seychelles. I haven't been there and I'm dying to go. So I think Bob and I could have a real great heart to heart with some, Centauri in the Seychelles. That's my answer. Well, great answer. We've not had Seychelles or Bob Marley before. So, what's yours? Do you ever answer the question? I don't. Uh, So, mine would be um, Balvenie 50, 
which is my favourite whiskey. Um, I mean, it's $40,000 a bottle, so I don't drink it very often. Um, in fact, I've only had it twice. But um, it would be about – obviously, there's no budget when you're doing fantasy drinking, so about mm. 50. Um, and it would be with my um, – it would be with my grandfather who I never met. So my dad's dad died when he was a kid. So um, I've seen pictures of this man, but I've never met him. Um, and it would be interesting to talk to my dad's father. Um, so it would be, and actually in my dad's South African and uh, I'd never been there. And so I think having a, a about any 50 with my grandfather in, Either South, probably, probably in Zimbabwe, because the country I'll definitely never be able to visit. I don't think it doesn't feel like it'll be safe enough. And that's where my dad was born. So, um, yeah, in Bulawayo with my grandfather with above any 50, I think would be my would be my answer. So. I love that answer. And, you know, what would be even better is because we're both in Africa. We can find a like a rendezvous spot between Seychelles and Zimbabwe, maybe we can go to like the Serengeti or something and me, your grandpa, Bob Marley, like we can all just hang out. Your whiskey is better than mine. So we drink that naturally. Can we make that happen? Well, what will be good, I think, is finding um, a sporting venue. You probably know somebody who's in charge of suites there because you're so well connected and we can all come watch a sporting occasion together. I think Great. we all need to bring like uh, Vuvuzelas, right? Yeah, very good. Yes. Super. Look, Michelle, this has been absolutely fascinating. Um, thank you very much for coming on the podcast and sharing your passion for sports and experiences and live events. It's been wonderful talking to you. So thank you very oh, thanks much. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Let's keep drinking. <laughs> thank you. Mm, I love scotch. 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 And don't forget to not just follow us on Twitter and Instagram at US of Dramerica, but also ask us questions and comment and say nice things. And please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if the mood takes you, you can leave us a review as uh, feedback is always welcome. And drink whiskey. Slonchevar. <laughs>